This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, when we did the One Minute Connect, uh, I told our friend that um, we've now been in church for 20 years. And she looked at me strange and I said, yeah, you, you don't. You're still normal after 20 years and in this church. Don't worry that you're going to look different or change a lot or um, do funny things. Um, You do get an opportunity to do a sermon after 20 years at a 3 p.m. service in a lockdown period. So that's the reward. And um, in most cases, you also lose all of your hair. So... I hope you guys are in for the ride. We must have done something wrong because Sias looks exactly as he looked 20 years ago, but definitely I don't. Um, also, back in the day, 20 years ago, we, um, our church services used to go on for about three hours, four hours sometimes. That's why I brought myself some food. Because, uh, and I thought we're starting at 3 p.m. because we're going to go throughout the night. So I, didn't, I heard we, there's another service at 5, so we'll have to hurry up. But uh, I did bring myself some snacks. So, um, yeah, we um, see us, I, I think, 20 years um, just looking back over, over um, just the privilege of having, having been part of, of the church and, and uh, can just testify of the difference the community made. Here we are today, we have, we're in this building, but this is not the church. We've had many buildings. We've, we've uh, been all over the town and sometimes without buildings, but um, luckily we know that we don't need a building to have a church. Um, any place where people gather in God's name is where, where the church is. So it's great to be here, whether we're in this hall or outside or um, anyway, you know, it's, it's great to share, share, share time with each other. And I um, you know, just, just want to testify of just the massive difference, this community and one's family and, and, and the church and also colleagues have made in, in one's life. And I, and I specifically mention colleagues because we're talking about God and work, our redemptive purpose. Um, and the topic of the... Of, my talk today is turning deserts into gardens. I didn't know why um, that was a topic, but I just um, felt that the Lord said that must be the topic. It might be because um, I, I did a lot of gardening in the last year, and that's where this fruit also comes from, a grapefruit that we planted here now with, with such great just respect and um, and, 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 and um, appreciation. Um, and I um, yeah, just have, 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 have seen just the incredible power of seed being sown in the right soils that grows into a beautiful garden. Another um, really, the second scripture that I felt the Lord wanted us to, to uh, discuss and to think about this afternoon is found in Genesis 26 verse 18. And it says, George, are you going to put it up? Great. Um, I might not have the same translation, 
but I'll read. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped, after, stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Um, and I just felt, and, and what, we, what we are going to pray about and talk about today is, have there been any wells in our lives that the enemy has clogged? So what happened here, a flourishing garden, a flourishing field where water was in abundance, um, was, was stopped and was clogged with stones and mud by the, by the enemies. And that field could not produce a harvest. And the only reason I brought this grapefruit is not to eat it in our three-hour sermon today, but it's to explain and to show you ultimately the difference between a garden and a desert is one thing. It's fruit. That's the, that's the big difference. Yes, there's water and there's temperature and other plants, but ultimately the difference between a garden and a desert is fruit. And we need to look at ourselves and, and, and again focusing on our work, what we do outside of this church building on a Sunday. Is there fruit that we produce or not? And if some of the wells in our lives have been dried up, then we need to start and ask the Lord, but what has happened? Are there stones and mud and stuff in here? What are the, the stones that are in here that's clogging up the water and the source for us to have water to grow a great garden? Matthew 5, 13 to 16 talks about salt and light. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If your life doesn't bear fruit that people can see, then there's some stones in your well. Or, we'll get to the scripture later, the seeds have grown, but there's no harvest because of three things that we're going to talk about later. Salt has got many purposes. The three I, can, I could think of and just wanted to mention to you, um, which is symbolic, I think, of what we are supposed to do. Salt gives taste. It preserves and it cleanses. So if, if Jesus says we, must, we are the salt of the earth, then, and, 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 and also referring to if it's, if it's no, no longer good for anything and lost, it, lost its saltiness, we must ask ourselves, where we are, are the places clean and sanitized? Is it purified? Because that is what, that is what salt does. 
Does it give taste? Do people miss me in the team, in the res, in my family? Am I, do I make a difference? Am I bearing fruit that people enjoy? Um, in the series that, that we're talking about and, and the topic, Our Redemptive Purpose, it's important to, to know and understand what redemptive means, and it means basically to save. So are we pursuing redemptive purposes, redemptive business, redemptive ventures that in the process saves, saves people, saves the world, and is like a flourishing garden. So I've got two questions for us today. Everyone is building something. You are building something. Are you building a garden or a desert? The second question, are there wells in your life that have been clogged and prevent you from getting water to water your land? I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we... We hear what you're saying, and we appreciate this opportunity this afternoon to be here, to gather together, um, and to spend time around your word. Lord, we thank you for, um, for these scriptures. Thank you for um, this opportunity to come and to, to come and investigate ourselves, to come and ask ourselves the tough questions, Lord, and to be encouraged by the plans that you have for our lives. Lord, I, I, I ask you this afternoon that you will come and reveal, that you will come and show us if uh, um, what has been clogging up the wells that prevents us from bearing fruit. And where, Lord, do you want us to be part of what you're doing? In the name of Jesus, amen. Our plans and dreams need to be aligned with God's dreams for our lives. I'm going to use two examples of, of uh, guys in the Bible. One who didn't follow God's plans and dreams for his life, and the other one who did. The first example is Esau in Genesis 25. Um, I'll read for you guys. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, farnished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm farnished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first, and he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some of the lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. What the Lord kind of just pressed on my heart when, when reading this scripture is, if we have received something, a legacy, a calling, a purpose from the Lord, it's, it's undeserving. It's not something we can do to earn that. Like Esau was the firstborn. The whole principle of the firstborn having a birthright. And here Esau goes and he takes something that he didn't earn, which he got, which was bestowed upon him. And he sold it for a physical need and with a short-term focus. I'm hungry now and what is this worth to me? What is this birthright? 
all about. Malachi 1 verse 3 says, God speaking, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his healed country into a wasteland, and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. So the, the result of us taking our birthright, taking our calling, taking the dreams that God has got for our lives, and not using it, and giving it up, selling it, selling out, walking away from it, is God despising um, despising us, despising that act, and uh, this inheritance left to the desert jackals. The other example, Nehemiah, which I'll also read from Nehemiah 1 verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalai, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, I'll just forward you a bit to verse 3. They said to me, those who have survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I, this is now Nehemiah speaking, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. Before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if, you, if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, had a great job, far from his home country and his home city. And he heard news of how it was going back home, and it really bothered him. He was crying, he was disappointed. When he heard those things and he wept. And then a lot of things started to change. And Nehemiah, in the presence of the king, wasn't allowed to show uh, a sad, a long face, uh, but he couldn't hide what he was feeling. The king says, What's going on? And uh, he asked him permission to go and to help his people in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gets a lot of favor, goes to Jerusalem, acts as a logistics manager and, and, and um, mobilizes the people to rebuild the walls. And it's such a great story. Someone with an amazing job in the palace, pouring wine for the king, being stirred, being concerned about what, he heard, what he's hearing and how things are. Um, and there's so many parallels here which I'd like to bring back to ourselves because God is talking to you and to me about stuff that, that's, that's sad for him. 
um, things that, that, would, that, that also bothers us. A broken world, something somewhere, broken walls that's not, that's not right. And those things that concern us, and as we get closer to, to the end of the talk today and, and talk about the redemptive purpose, I want you to start thinking, what are those things that you're really concerned about, that you don't like hearing, that you don't like seeing, um, and, and where, you, where you can build a garden? Um, it's also great to have seen that Nehemiah um, didn't do it by himself. So the rebuilding was done in a record time. Amazing. Why? Because every family took ownership of their part of the world. <clears throat> it wasn't a one-man show. Yes, there was a big vision. There was logistics. There was strategy. And there was resources coming in as they were building. But it was so important for every person to realize that we are together rebuilding the walls. There's a piece of the wall that you're supposed to build, which I can't build. But every one of us have got a specific calling and a, and a, and a, and a purpose. And God's got a dream for us to be part of this building process. And we've got to build together. It's, it's that body coming together, the arm and the leg and the head, um, all working together to rebuild. So the two examples of Esau following his own will, of following his own physical needs, despising something, yes, that was given to him for free, but him not realizing the responsibility that comes with the calling that God had on his life, right? And the birthright. And we're sitting here, five years, ten years, twenty years in church, and what have we done with our birthright? What have we done with the calling that God has put on everyone uh, of our lives? Similar to the plan God had for Esau and Nehemiah, God's got a plan for us as well. And this is very important because depending on where you grew up and how you were raised, <coughs> some, some, some of us are more fortunate than others um, to have grown up in maybe a household where there was, there were, dreams were encouraged, um, people supported your plans, and always tried to make it work. But some of us have always also grown up in, in, in circumstances where you haven't been allowed to dream. We haven't been allowed to think outside of the box, outside of your neighborhood, outside of your, of your job, or the class that, that, your, that your parents or your folks are in or what they've done, and, 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 and we know that God has a special plan for each one of us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 and 12 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Isaiah 58 says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. And that's really what I want to just speak over all of us today, that we will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That we will see a desert be transformed into a garden. And as I said earlier, the only difference, the main difference between the two is fruit. 
I also, after having had a primary career, was really struggling with this whole secular and sacred divide. So the secular being my job, what I did from a Monday to a Friday, and the sacred being my relationship with the Lord, which was obviously, you know, a, a daily walk with the Lord and being part of church and small group. <clears throat> but I, re I really felt an emptiness in, in what I did professionally and how, I how to reconcile that with, with my calling. I resigned and <clears throat> with the idea of, of taking a few months off. And um, I had big plans to go into a, a month or two or three sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, and uh, to, to have a whiteboard and to start making plans and to start thinking about secondary career or a, a second, second, second uh, job and, or, or to start a business that will now kind of be more like building a garden than, than just a normal job. <clears throat> and as I was preparing and, and getting books and stuff to read, um, I just felt the Lord laying on my heart the, the following things. Don't ask God to bless your plans. Ask God what His plans are and pray for your own obedience. You need to pray less. You don't need to, to ask God to bless His own plans. He will bless His own plans. We must rather pray for ourselves and pray that we will be obedient. Um, but too many times we make our own plans and, and things are a bit of a struggle. Things are always, always going to be a struggle. Things are always going to be tough. But I'd rather struggle with God's plans than struggle with my own. Because my own plans don't necessarily have God inside of them. And, and, and I must ask myself, if I'm praying too many times, God, please bless this, please bless this, am I doing the right thing or not? I must... We must be so sensitive not to waste time and to ask the Lord what His plans are. Those plans that He talks about in Jeremiah 29. And if you don't know what those plans are, we need to get, become quiet and pray with each other and consecrate our lives before the Lord so that we do know what those plans are. Because those are the things we have to pursue. Um, two, three examples that meant really meant a lot to me of, of people who have pursued God's plan for their lives and who, who had massive headwinds and challenges. Joseph, being the youngest son and having all those dreams, and then the setbacks he had, first being thrown into the pit, then Potiphar's house and the jail, and, 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 and how we never, I've, I, I haven't seen and read in the scriptures that Joseph ever questioned God. But I read about his excellent spirit. I read about him hanging on to the dreams that God gave him, right? And that's amazing because that's, that's the stuff that takes us through tough times are those things that God promised us. Um, so it's so, so important to know what, what the dreams are and to, and to ask the Lord to reveal that to us. The second example is Paul. Paul is, has, has been taken into captivity and his, his, his big dream was to go preach in Rome to Caesar. And uh, they get on a boat in Jerusalem and they travel to Rome. And you guys know the story. The boat goes shipwrecked and they end on the island of Malta. 
And, um, and, and that must have been a massive disappointment um, to Paul, right? It's the story where the snake comes out of the fire and bites him and nothing happens to him. But Paul also, again, um, doesn't go and sit on a heap and complains and said he's now so disappointed that he can't go to, to Rome. It was, a, it, was a, it was a temporary hold, but God knew that Paul had to be there, and God then supplied the boat to take him to Rome later. The third example is in Genesis 11, 12, 13, where you guys will read Abraham, God telling Abraham, leave your house, leave your, the place where your family is, and go to the place where I will take you. So I'm not sure how far different translations say it's 600 kilometers, others say it's 6,000 kilometers. But to travel from where Abraham was, Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, to Canaan, where, where God was bringing him to, was, um, uh, uh, must have been a few months worth of travel at least. I mean, they were traveling on foot with camels. He, was, he had Lot with him, his family, all his servants, all his animals. Now imagine, you tell all of these guys, now we've got to travel this far. We are now leaving our families, our households to go into, the, into the, uh, uh, an uncertain future, a place that we don't know. And getting there after a few months, um, how long um, it, it, it took. Um, and then he got there and there was a famine. He got to this place and, and now he's got to be the positive guy. He's got to convince his whole team all the time. Don't worry. Those blisters... You know, just, just bite fast. We're gonna, it's only going to be a few more weeks or a few more days. But I promise you where God uh, is taking us is a beautiful land. It's, it's God's promises. It's, it's these amazing um, things, right? And, and imagine that disappointment that Abraham had when he got to that place and they came across the little hill. And, and everyone, he's, he's now created expectations amongst them. And they get there and there's no food, no water. There's a famine in that land. So what do you and I do when we go to the place that, that we believe God has promised us and that we should do? And then we, we, um, we arrive there and it doesn't look great. Again, Abraham doesn't complain. He makes a plan and he, he takes his family and the animals and they go to Egypt for a while where there was food for the animals. But what I'm, I think the lesson for us is that we shouldn't get disappointed and offended when we, we go in obedience to somewhere and the place that we get to doesn't look great. Because I think that's where many of us, you know, get to fatigue, we get to disappointment and offense, as I said, and things in our, now look differently to what they looked um, when we when we drew those, those nice pictures in our, in our journals, right? Those beautiful trees and oasis and um, all, of the, all of the great promises of the Lord. So those, were th those are three great examples of people that have pursued God's plans for their life. But it didn't always happen at the time and in the way that they thought. But ultimately, the testimony is there and the results are there that ultimately... God did achieve through their lives what he promised. So we need to hang in there. I also think that if our plans 
are, are things that we can achieve on our own, in our own strength, they're probably not God's plans for our lives. I've just experienced that many times God calls us for stuff that's impossible for us to do in our own strength with our own might. And that's why you've also got to test this dream of yours. Um, is it something that you can achieve on your own? Because sadly, then you don't need God. And I don't think God wants us not to need Him. God wants us to need Him and to be dependent on Him. So do also test our plans and our kind of this redemptive role we want to play to build a garden in line with, is this something I can do on my own or not? Um, I said earlier, we are either building a garden or we're building a desert. There's a scripture in Psalm 127 that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the gods stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Proverbs 14, 11, and 12, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Something looks right in our own eyes. Something is... There we're back. Um, yeah, but, but just making sure that the Lord builds the house, otherwise we're working in vain. A garden is the path of significance, and a desert is a path of success. The end result of significance is life and joy and fulfillment. The end of the result of a desert is, is definitely short-term comforts, but in the long term, death, sorrow, and emptiness. It's not how we start that matters, but how we finish. Luke 8.14 says, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And I, I, I've many times, you know, I've seen and experienced this as well. Seed that's, that's, that's been sown, that's, be, that's been growing. And even as we saw people, you know, fellow students, fellow friends, Growing the Lord, the, the, the seed falling on good soils, growing. But then too often, these three things come and choke that seed. Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And that's what we need to be careful about. Life's worries, the riches, and the pleasures. Because those things do choke the seed that's grown very nicely and prevents it from um, generating a good harvest. Taking action. As I said earlier, I think it will be great as we, as we pray and we ask the Lord to lead us and to think about the redemptive purpose of what we do. But three things that, that, that I've just used as a guideline to help figure this out um, and, 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 and maybe not always it's that clear and God doesn't talk to you in an audible voice. But what are the things that we can measure God's plan by? I think what, um, the first thing is, um, as I said earlier, something 
that bothers you, that hurts you, that you are sad about when you see it. So somewhere where there's a need in the world that's caught your attention. That's the, one, the first thing. The, th- the second thing I definitely think where we should build a garden and be purposeful is um, of things that we are skilled in and, and, and thirdly, stuff that we are passionate about. I, I have also, and I think some of us today, yeah, have got to repent that we've pursued our own dreams and made our own plans. And as we're getting to the end of the talk now, um, you know, just, just really submitting our plans and what we're doing to the Lord and um, potentially surrendering and aligning again with God's will. Let's trust God to reveal to us whether we've been following our own plans and what does his plans for our life look like. Habakkuk 1, sorry, Habakkuk 2 verse 1 is a great scripture. And it, it's about the vision and writing the vision down. And this is my, my encouragement to you as well. Go and stand on your watch and station yourself and look to see what the Lord will say to you and what answer he will give you. And then the Lord replied, write the vision down and make it plain on tablets so that he who reads it may run with it. So, so important to write down the vision, the plan, the dream. Why do we need to write it down? It's, be, it's, it's so that we could read it. And why do we need to read it? We need to read it so that we can run with it. Many times, visions aren't written down. And it gets just passed on from one person to another. Ultimately, there's nothing to read. Something gets lost in translation. And just by writing it down and reminding ourselves, especially when those tough times come, is so important. So um, that's meant a lot to me, is just um, writing the vision down so that I can read it, my colleagues at work can read it, my fellow church members can read it. And as we stand here, I've just been part of the church for 20 of the probably 30 years or 25 years. I don't know see how old the church is. But that vision has been written down in the early days. And still today, all of us can read it. And that allows us to run with it. But if vision came with a person who then left again, and it was never written down, we would have been confused. Then a new vision comes. But God has got a specific calling for this body, for this church, for this group of people, where we're based, where, where we're located in Africa and Stellenbosch. And we've got to steward that vision that he has for this body. We've got to write it down so that we can read it, but those who come after us can also read it. So that why? So that they can run with it. The worst thing in the world is to start working on something and then being called back and saying, no, 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 you're going in the wrong direction. We want direction. We want something that's written down, foundations that have been laid and said, this is the vision that we're pursuing with because that allows you to run with it without being uncertain and scared and think and having double-mindedness. Um, so, yeah, just an encouragement to, um, to, to write down the vision and to stick to it. And then lastly, you know, 
my, my previous point was, was, was our own plans, right? How we need to repent and, and, and ask the Lord and test what we are doing. Is it purposeful? Is it redemptive in nature? Is it producing fruit? Is it a garden? Or is the ultimate result of, of my efforts now going to be a desert? The second, second group of us might need to recommit to the plans that God has given us, that God has dreamt about us, and that we are pursuing, but that we've maybe become slack in pursuing, or that we've become disappointed in. Um, I always, um, yeah, just think about that, uh, that great parable of the prodigal son, the lost, the lost son, who took, again, his birthright, what his father wanted to give, give him, and, and, and uh, followed his own heart, went off and took the money and, and squandered it, and coming back, and his father waiting for him there to come back, not um, uh, being cross at him, not being bitter at him, but his father standing there with open arms. And we also can come to the Lord, even if we've pursued our own plans and our own dreams, and God is waiting for us to come back to him and to his house and to come and claim or, or take up uh, that birthright that we have. And how that father then comes and gives his son sandals on his feet, a new cloak, and a ring on his finger. The sandals is the, the calling, the destiny, symbolic of the calling and the destiny. The cloak, which is, which is a new identity and God's identity, God's plan on your life. And the ring on his finger, which was the authority that his father gave him. And that is what God wants um, for us and has in store for us. So, yeah, I just, I just wanna, want us to, 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 to pray and to come together and consecrate this time to him. I also want really um, uh, for you guys to come to the front. If there's any prayer that's, that's, that's required, both on those two points that I said recommitting our works and what we've done, what we've started out with. And secondly, if, if we have pursued our own plans, just to come and surrender um, before the Lord. So, um, yeah, see us. Um, let's, uh, let's take it away. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.